Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today I chose He Who Follows Me from Hall of Fantasy. Hall of Fantasy premiered in 1946 on CBS affiliate KALL in Salt Lake City. The show was created by radio announcer Richard Thorne and sponsored by local furnishing chain Granite Furniture. Its successful run came to an end in June 1947 when Richard Thorne left KALL for WGN in Chicago. In 1949, Thorne revived Hall of Fantasy for WGN, focusing less on mystery and more on supernatural horror. This version of the show ran until 1953 and was nationally syndicated by the Mutual Broadcasting System from 1952 to 1954. Most of the series' surviving episodes are from this later run. He Who Follows Me was written by Richard Thorne, loosely based on M.R. James' 1904 short story Count Magnus. Thorne updated the setting, moving it from turn-of-the-century Sweden to contemporary America, and replaced James' protagonist, a middle-aged aspiring guidebook writer, with a happy young married couple. As you can imagine, they don't stay happy for long. And now let's listen to He Who Follows Me, from The Hall of Fantasy, first broadcast October 26th, 1953. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. And now... The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio problems dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friend. We shall descend to the world of the unknown and forbidden, down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted, and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of He Who Follows Me. The Death That Walks? Well, how did he come to get that name? Because people around here have seen him at night. But he's dead. That's right, he's dead. And they've seen him walking. Oh, this must be their imagination. It ain't their imaginations, I know. I've seen them myself. What are you trying to do? Frighten us? I ain't trying to frighten you, none. <laughs> I don't have to. He'll frighten you. Old Mr. Thomas. The death that walks. Because he'll come for you. <laughs> he'll come for you. In just a moment... The Hall of Fantasy will present He Who Follows Me. And now for our story. Adapted for radio by Richard Thorne, entitled He Who Follows Me. I have 
have before me the diary of a dead man. He and his wife were my best friends. The words he's written down tell a tale so fantastic it's almost impossible to believe. Yet I know that Bill and Helen Mason lived the last few months of their lives in dread fear of the slow steps that followed them. It is late evening as I read his words. I have come to their house now so empty and sit in the large overstuffed leather chair in the library. Outside, rain pummels against the side of the house. The wind blows the fall leaves from the trees and the sound of thunder gives vent to the anger of the storm. There's something in the house. A tension. A fear, perhaps. I feel almost as if unseen eyes were watching me. As if someone is here with me. Here in this room. So I start to read his diary, living words from the pen of a man who sleeps forever. March 3rd. Today, Helen and I came across one of those delightful old southern mansions. We've decided to stop and make a study of the place. And Helen was especially interested in taking some color pictures to illustrate our lecture series in the fall. Well, I guess no one will mind if we take a look around the place. No, I'm sure they wouldn't. Oh, it's a shame that whoever owns the house and grounds let the place run down this way. It must have been beautiful in its day. Yeah, I imagine it was, Helen. Well, the house could still be saved, renovated. Beautiful place. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I'd like to get a shot from here. Hmm. Ah, if that turns out, it'll make a nice picture. Helen? Mm-hmm? I wonder what that building is over there. Yeah. Right over there, just in back of the house. Oh, well, no one's to stop us. Why don't we take a look? All right, let's do I can't understand why anyone would let the grounds and house deteriorate so. Well, it must have cost a lot of money to run a place as large as this, darling. The real estate office probably couldn't find a buyer. Uh, you're probably right. And then the other building doesn't seem to be so run down. No. It's in remarkably fine condition. It must have been built a lot later than the house. It seems to be made of stone. Gray stone. I wonder what it's used for. I don't know. Actually, I believe that someone lived in the old house not too long ago and... I think probably the second building was constructed during that time. Well, it's a crime to let a beautiful old place run down like this. Mm. Well, here we are. Bill? Yes, dear? It doesn't have any windows. Yes, I noticed that. Seems rather strange. Oh, well, maybe it was used for a store. Oh, look at the door. What's the matter with it? I think the lock's broken. Mm, you're right. Why don't we take a look inside? All right. Locks all rusted through. There. Yeah, that does it. And now to see what's inside. Well, there might not be any windows, but there's a skylight that lets in the sun. Come on, let's go in. All right. Ooh, it's so, so cold in here. Uh, so I noticed. Helen, what's that in the center of the floor? <laughs> That's just what I was going to say. This isn't a storehouse by any stretch of the imagination. It's a mausoleum. That thing in the center of the floor is a sarcophagus. Stone coffin. There's nothing else in here. Just that... That thing in the center. And yet I feel as if... It's crowded. As if there are things here that we can't see. <laughs> That's nonsense, darling. 
Hey, look, notice how the sun falls across the head of the sarcophagus. Yes, oh, I wonder if we have light enough to take a picture. Well, I doubt it, but you could try. Well, I might as well if it turns out yeah. that. Uh, what are you two doing in here? Oh, we noticed the lock was broken, and so we came on in. You shouldn't have done that. Oh, why not? We didn't do any harm. Well, I'm sure of that, but he won't like it. Who won't like it? The thing that sleeps in that stone coffin. What are you talking about? Just what I said. You didn't notice the writing over the door when you came in, did you? What writing? You didn't notice it then. That's a shame. Because you didn't know what you was getting into. Getting into? Look, I'm sorry, but I just don't understand. We didn't hurt anything. We're not intending to steal anything. But that don't make no difference. He doesn't care what your reasons were. Who is he? They called him Mr. Thomas when he was living. They call him the death that walks now that he's dead. The death that walks? How did he come to get that name? Because people around here have seen him at night. But he's dead. That's right, he's dead. And they've seen him walking. That must be their imagination. They hate their imaginations, I know. I've seen them myself. What are you trying to do? Frighten us? I ain't trying to frighten you none. <laughs> I don't have to. He'll frighten you. Old Mr. Thomas. The death that walks. I uh, think we'd better go, Bill. You don't believe what I'm telling you. That's all right with me. I don't care what you believe. But you listen to what I'm saying now. If I was you, I'd get away from here as fast as I could. Not just from this place, but from the town. From this part of the country. Why? You want me to tell you a little of the story? Yes. All right. Maybe you'll believe me then. Old Tannis came here from someplace in Europe. I say old, but he really wasn't old. Just seemed that way. He brought the house and grounds here and had them cleaned up. Till the place looked like it was brand new. Then he started building this here building. There's something funny about Tannis, something in his eyes that, that made you frightened of him. His eyes, they looked like the eyes of a, of a dead man. He didn't act like anyone I ever knew. He was always talking about death. Always telling me he could come back after death. And I was the caretaker then, just like I am now. And after this building was completed, I used to watch him at night when he'd come out here. It seemed like he was in some sort of a trance. He'd stay out here for hours. And when he'd come back to the house, his, his eyes would glisten and shine. So you couldn't hardly look at him. A week before he died, he told me that as long as I lived... I was to take care of this place. Because if I didn't, he, he'd come back and kill me. And then he died. Just like that. And he was put in here, in his coffin. And one night, about two months later, when the moon was full, I heard a noise. And when I come out to look, I saw the door to this place opening. And him come out in the moonlight. Hear his footsteps. It sounded queer and hollow like. And I turned around and I could see his face in the moonlight. Pale and pasty, sick looking. And those eyes of his seemed like two burning coals of fire. He seemed to be looking at me. And I heard him say, They have disturbed me, and the moon has awakened me. I shall follow them. That's what he said. And I heard it just as plain as you're hearing me. And then he vanished in the night. Towards morning, I heard his footsteps again. 
heard that big iron door closing. And I knew he was back. The next day in town, I heard that Alf Cummins had died the night before, screaming something about not meaning to go into the mausoleum. I knew who killed him. And that's all there is to the story? Well, that's just part of it. It's happened again and again in the last ten years since he's been dead. Folks around here say he'll follow you wherever you go if you come inside here. Well, in that case, why haven't you been killed? Because he needs me. <laughs> he ain't going to kill me. But if I was you, I, I'd get out of this part of the country just as soon as I could. Let's go back to the hotel, Bill. Yeah, that's all I do. You going to get away from here? Yes, we'd better get going. Yeah, I wish I'd have been here when you come, but I was in town getting this lock. You can't go around leaving this door unlocked. these words. It's quite late and the moon has risen full in the sky. Helen is standing by the window looking out. For some reason, I am frightened. And yet I know that a few months from now I shall only laugh at the memory of my fright. However, in the morning, I do believe that we will leave this place. All through? Yes, for tonight at least. I think we'll be leaving tomorrow, Helen. Oh, I'm glad. I don't believe the caretaker story, and yet I'm afraid. Yeah. It's a beautiful night. Yes, isn't it? That moon's so big and full that it could... Bill. Yes, dear? Look down there at the street. There's a man down there. Oh, there's nothing to be... Bill! He's looking straight up at us and pointing to us at... Look at his face, Bill. Look at his face. Pale. Pasty looking. And his eyes like two burning coals of fire. Back now to our story. Adapted especially for radio by Richard Thorne. Entitled, He Who Follows Me. As I read these pages, the words stare up at me, and their formations bring to life a nameless terror which I feel all around me. Outside, the storm still rages, yet the sound of it fades from my mind as the terror in the pages of the volume I hold before me becomes increasingly apparent. March 3rd. Still later. The man down in the street, whomever he was, left after about ten minutes. He has given us quite a fright. Where I felt any doubts as to whether or not we should leave this place, they've all been dispelled now. Helen has just gone to bed. I think I shall do the same. If we're going to leave in the morning, you'd better get to sleep, Bill. I want to get out of here as soon as I can. Yes, I was just coming to bed, Helen. 
That man we saw. Yes. It might be only coincidence. Do you really believe that, Helen? Or are you trying to talk yourself into it? I guess I'm trying to rationalize it. I'm afraid I'm not doing a very good job of it. I don't know what to believe. It could be coincidence, but somehow I'm afraid it isn't. Then you think that... Maybe. No, don't worry about it, Helen. By tomorrow, we'll be several hundred miles from here. And I doubt if whomever it was will follow us. They sound just like the steps the caretaker described to us. Yes, but we saw him walk away. I think Billy's in the room upstairs. Well, it's probably someone else. It's not, I know it's not. All right, all right. Just a minute, I'll call the desk. This is William Mason in 316. Can you tell me who has the room directly above mine? Clerk's going to check. Yes? Oh, I see. No, no, thank you very much. What did the clerk say? The room directly above ours is unoccupied. March 4th. We left the hotel a short time after we heard the steps. We went immediately to our car and drove all night and all day. And are stopping now in a motel almost a thousand miles away. It's reassuring to know that he could not possibly follow us. I am very tired. Go to bed and get an early start in the morning. Helen? You asleep? No. What are you thinking about? The words that were written above the mausoleum door. If you enter here into the realm of death, I shall follow you and bring him with me. Yes. Yes, I hear them, too. He couldn't possibly have come this far, could he? I don't know. What's the matter? I saw face. Pressed against the window. It's not there now. I was there for just a few seconds. I saw a bill. The same man we saw last night outside the hotel. He was right outside the window. March 5th. This morning when I went in to pay the bill... The man who owns the motel said a strange, pasty-faced man had been in earlier and told him to tell me that he would follow me. March 11th. It's impossible to get any material together that'll help me in my work. Everywhere we go, he's there also. Yeah, Mr. Mason, this guy said it was all right for you to go on ahead because he was going to follow you. No, he didn't leave a name. He just said that he'd be in touch with you. April 7th. Never saw anyone who looked like that before. See a friend of yours, Mr. Mason? April 18th. He said he'd follow you. April 29th. Told me to say he'd follow you. May 15th. Follow you. 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 Follow you.
we go home, Bill. Oh, if we go home, it'll be the same thing. Maybe. Maybe it won't. I can't stand this anymore. All right, all right, darling. We'll leave for home right away. June 23rd. We arrived home this evening. I called Gary as soon as I could. He said he'd be out within the hour to see us. He wasn't able to help us in any way. I really didn't expect any help. I was hoping that he might be able to offer some concrete suggestion as to what to do. However, last night was the first night in months that we haven't been aware of his presence. Maybe, maybe Helen is right. Perhaps he won't follow us here. Back now to our story, adapted especially for radio by Richard Thorne, entitled, He Who Follows Me. July 3rd. We've not seen or heard anything unusual since we first came home. I feel as a man might feel who has been given a new lease on life. July 10th. Still nothing. August 19th. For the past two months, a feeling of peace and security has enveloped the house. Helen and I have been able to go around with no sense of danger nor of dread. But last night, that feeling was shattered. Gary had come out for dinner. It was almost 10 o'clock. Well, it's about time for me to get along. Oh, it's only 10, Gary. Surely you don't have to go so soon. I'm afraid I must, Helen. Tomorrow's a working day for me. I thought I might be able to get you into a game of chess. Oh, some other time, Bill. Well, next time, don't stay away so long. Don't worry. I think we ought to... Tell me, is someone upstairs? No. Listen. <gasps> He's back. Who's back? The man we told you about. Those are his footsteps. I'd know them anywhere. I should. I've heard them enough. What are you going to do? Look, will you come upstairs with me, Gary? Yes, of course. You stay here, Helen. Don't go up there, Bill. Don't let him, Gary. No, Helen. This time I'm going to meet him face to face. Then I'm going with you. No, you're not. You're going to stay right here. Ready, Gary? Yes. Okay, let's go. Be careful. As careful as we can. If he is up there, what are you going to do? I don't know. We'll find that out when the time comes. Our steps came from the guest room. I don't hear anything. Well, let's see if he's in there. Stand back, Gary. I'm going to open the door. Right. It's empty. There's no one in here. But I heard someone up here. Yes, he was here, but he's gone. I can feel it when he's near me. I know that... Come on. Helen! Helen, where are you? Helen! There she is. In the front room. Helen. What's the matter, Helen? Helen, answer me. She can't do. She's sitting there with her eyes wide open. She's dead. August 23rd. We buried her today. As I sit here in the empty house writing this, I know that Thomas will come for me too. I am writing this in the hope that someone will find it 
read it. And maybe understand my death. It's lonely here. Yet suddenly I have the feeling that I'm not alone. Someone is here with me. He is here. In this room with me. I'm afraid to turn and meet him. Have those eyes of his burning into me. And yet, yet I must. I pray that someone reads this. Perhaps he will... He will... third entry was the last he ever made. The feeling of creeping horror that runs through the pages has imparted itself to me. And I sense that someone is here with me. Of course, I realize that it's only my imagination. But I can't shake that feeling. someone here. Who... Who are you? Who do you think I am? So runs tonight's tale of the unusual, the terrifying, the unknown. Join us again when next we journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy to hear another strange tale of the supernatural. All characters and events portrayed in these programs are fictional, and any similarity to actual events or persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. That was He Who Follows Me from the Hall of Fantasy here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was Joshua's pick for this episode of our podcast as he dove into the Hall of Fantasy well. I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> grabbing a Hall of Fantasy and making us listen to that. All right, so... Um, I'm going to be very curious to see where this conversation goes, and I think it's very important that I not start. I need to <laughs> listen, not because I have a definite opinion, because I don't have a definite opinion, and I want to hear some things before I get a definite opinion. So, Joshua, why did you pick this? I listened to this a couple years ago for the first time because I read that it was an adaptation of an M.R. James story, even though... At the top, they do not credit M.R. James, but it is very clearly adapted from Count Magnus. And as 
regular listeners to the podcast know I am a big fan of the ghost stories of M.R. James. Um, And then when I heard it, I was surprised by how many liberties Richard Thorne took with the story, but I think he took some very interesting ones. And so I thought it was a really fascinating example of adaptation for me. And I realized you guys didn't read the short story, listeners didn't, but I still think it's an interesting discussion bracketed off from the original short story, partly because I do not think it is a perfect radio show by any means. I find some of the weaknesses of it fascinating, but I think the strengths for the most part outweigh the weaknesses. So yeah, I didn't, of course, read the short story and didn't even know it was an M.R. James adaptation. So I think that's actually an advantage when this happens on this podcast. I'm just listening to this radio show without any preconceived notions of what it's based on, what it's trying to live up to. Uh, Tim, have you read that M.R. James story? No, I have not. Did you know this was based on that listening to it? I didn't. I was listening to it. I'm now wondering, did Joshua tell me that? And I just forgot. This <laughs> is possible, but I did not know that while I was listening to it. So we have a completely different angle. So I think it's interesting because I think there are listeners who are probably familiar with the short story. How did it do and what were the huge differences, Joshua? What it does is it takes the smallest part of the M.R. James story and expands it into most of the radio play. And that is, M.R. James likes to uh, live in this dread, this sense of something about to go wrong and waiting for it and waiting for it. And then when it does happen, uh, he doesn't spend a lot of time on it. So in the short story, there's a lot of research. The protagonist discovers these writings, discovers this mausoleum, and it isn't really the last half page of M.R. James' story is the ghost following him and him dying. And the adaptation, it is pretty much expanded to be this just sort of endless (laughs) following. (laughs) And I mean that in a good way, because it's just this inescapable pursuer. I also think it works really well for a radio show, that sound of those footsteps, and to sort of live in that sense of, horror as the couple experienced this. So those are the reasons I found it fascinating, those those differences between the original and the adaptation, because by expanding the ghost pursuing the couple, Richard Thorne fulfills that sense of dread that is a very Jamesian quality. So it's one of those interesting examples where adaptations can drastically change from the original, but still fulfill the spirit of the story. I liked this in what I'm sure is the wrong way. (laughs) Because when it started, and it's like the setup of like, you went into this house, this mausoleum, you shouldn't have gone in here, explained to you why you shouldn't go in here and you're going to die because this thing chases you. And it that seemed very cookie cutter to me. They didn't change the template. Um, And so I had a little sense of dread of like, oh, is this just going to be really boring? And then I was fascinated when a lot of the story was... Not like mysterious handprint of the window, you know, you hear about that living, but it was all these messages that they're like, hey, this guy said he's going to follow you. This guy said he's going to catch up to you, which made me envision that this ghost, when he's with them, he is creepy mysterious. But when he's with someone they know, he's just like, hey, if you see these guys, would you tell them that I'm following them? Thanks. And it really elicited for me not the, the sense of there's something supernatural following me, which I don't have a lot of experience with as much as this guy is pestering me nonstop which I have a lot of experience with. And so I really like, it did put me on edge (laughs) for the incessant quality of it. 
I love that uh, imagery you just put in my head, Tim, of him just being a regular person going up to these people and saying, hey, give these guys a message. Because nobody was freaked out about it. I mean, it was only disturbing to the people receiving the message. Yeah. So here's where I'm at. This thing has a, as Tim said, a cookie cutter setup, right? There's a lot of tropey stuff going on. And as with Tim, I did say the same thing like, oh, here we go. I'm going to be bored out of my mind. The end result I have still is I was bored out of my mind. Like (laughs) it was, and I'll be honest, what I'm really trying to get over is, and I know you just said it, Joshua, build up, build up, build up, build up. Conclusions really fast and we're out. That's the premise of an MR James. But man, were we out quick. Okay. Who are you? I'm the guy. All right. The end. (laughs) Like, who do you think I am? Uh, I quite like that yeah. last little note. I mean, of who do you think I am? That was an interesting twist for me. Although by that point, I was not in the same place you were, of being ready for half an hour for the story to start, which I, I sympathize with. Well, it was it was a lot of setup. Here's the deal: I think that there are some really great elements to this that makes me want to adapt it again. <laughs> And that is exactly what you're saying and what Joshua said. You both agreed the creepiest part of this is you've gotten cursed and you're being followed for the rest of your life by someone who is leaving you messages with other people saying that you'll catch up to them. That could be an entire movie. I don't know how that ends, though. And I think that's an issue. Like, how does that end? Okay, he finally gets to him and kills him. So that's an issue. But I love that little bit of it. And in this radio adaptation, they did that in four minutes, right? Like, just it was this really, it was a montage of people, you know, sending messages. And they did that really quick. And I thought that could be drawn out more than all the other storyline that was going on. I think I loved how they condensed it, though. That montage, I think, is really effective. Because it emphasizes what Tim said is just the ordinary everyday and that almost pestering. It verges on being ridiculous. But then it becomes terrifying in the fact that it doesn't stop. He says, he'll follow you. Oh, he'll catch up with you. And you just keep hearing the voices over. He'll follow you. He'll follow you. He'll follow you. And then punctuated by this sort of shriek from Helen, I can't stand it anymore. And Hmm. by condensing it, I think they actually capture the horror better than dragging it out. Okay, so uh, please follow me, or hopefully you'll follow me. The idea of... (laughs) I am he who follows you, Eric. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) See, I see what you did. I didn't even try to do that. I set you up so good. Oh, that was such a good setup. Uh, There is an element of the hitchhiker to this story. Do you follow what I'm getting at? Oh, I thought of that immediately. And that element of the hitchhiker of constantly picking them up and that being the actual crux of that story, that's what I wanted from this. Like, let's quickly establish that you're cursed and you're going to be followed for the rest of your life, and then let's draw out the curse. But then, now as I say that, then you would have done the hitchhiker. Uh, it's an elephant in the room if, if you've seen it. Have either of you seen the movie It Follows? No. Is that the, is the sequel to It? It would be a good good sequel to It. That's That's really good. I'm mad how good that is. Um, <laughs> but the premise of that, condensed a little, so I don't spoil anything if you haven't seen it. It is this creature that follows you. I'm leaving a lot of details out. Uh, it moves slowly. You can move as fast as you want. It never stops, even when you do. I mean, that's the, the horror of it. So you got to keep moving or it'll get you. Yes. There are rules governing how you get it to follow someone else. Is like, Keanu Reeves driving the bus then? <laughs> All the time. 
<laughs> when I say it follows, Keanu Reeves is following you in a bus. <laughs> oh. Slowly. I just had to say that for anyone who's listening to this who has seen It Follows and was saying, like, it's like It Follows. <laughs> so now they know we know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tim. <laughs> Don't write us an email saying you missed that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, can we just talk about the ending? So it sounds like the two of you are really good with that. Like, it's this build up, build up, build up. I'm the guy. The end. Like, nothing shocking happens he gets to him and gets him oh i think we've kind of covered this ground before and you'll be relieved to know i think this is the last golden age mr james <laughs> ghost story adaptation out there uh because i just don't think you are the audience for an mr right. james style of ghost story because it relies on this inevitability of the ending ah, and, and, yeah, and yeah, every yeah. time we listen to mr james you're like but what happens? How do they fight the ghost? And the point of the story, it's like a campfire ghost story. You have this sense, you know the bad thing happens. And and rarely is there a twist. It's more about not what happens, but when it happens. And that's where the tension comes from. And if you like that style of ghost story, M.R. James is the best at it. Right. If you're more interested in what happens, then it's probably not the type of story for you. It's me getting hung up on twists. That's what it boils down to. I'm so, I just, I want to be surprised all the time. Like, I think this is happening and it didn't. And that I love. And I think there's something very important that you're saying to me that I need to hear. It's okay to know the ending of a story if it's told well. That was exactly my experience with this. Because I went in, I think, similar to you of like, I know how this is going to end. And it's kind of, let's just get to it. And then in the actual execution, when he's doing the the clichéest of clichés, I'm writing my journal as I'm dying. And then there's the next level of the guy who's reading the journal, hearing the guy. And this is so predictable, and I know it's coming, and I'm loving it. It's just the performance, and it's just exactly what it promised to be, and it did it well. I'm like, thanks. I did love the performances. Yeah, and I think we've commented before that the Hall of Fantasy is a throwback series. It's, you know, from the late 40s into the early 50s, but it's really in the style of, like, late 30s radio horror, uh, the witch's tale type of stuff. It's very witch's tale. Very it embraces so. those hoary old cliches. It's, you know, the narrator in the dark and stormy night setting, yep. um, a, a creepy caretaker telling a young couple about a curse. I mean, it is very much a cliche. But this one, I think, is really well executed once those cliche elements are set in motion. Um, but I would say <laughs> that the uh, unintentionally hilarious dialogue award definitely has to go to when Bill says, I called Gary as soon as I could. He said he would be out within the hour to see us. He wasn't able to help us in any way. <laughs> like, why did you write those three lines of dialogue? Right. It's like um, Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy from like SNL of the <laughs> it really early is. 90s. <laughs> I thought I'd get some crackers, but then I didn't have any. It is a very Jack Handy line that's hilarious yeah why why bring it up then it's like he wrote it and went oh i'm not gonna go that route in the plot and then went but i ain't erasing it (laughs) i'm really on the fence too about the 
double first-person nar- narration. There's a part of me that says there's absolutely zero reason, uh, take a cue from that hilarious line of dialogue, there's absolutely zero reason for Gary to be in this story. There is no reason that we can't open with Bill writing this and end with him uh, turning around and seeing this, uh, this being there. What it does give us is the one ostensible twist in the story, and that is that this being is still in the house and it's very dark fantasy to go it's not enough to just kill the happy married couple we're also gonna kill the guy who's been narrating their narration nobody lives in a dark uh hall of fantasy story (laughs) i was gonna say careful there (laughs) i the double narration thing it also there was a moment of joy for me when they when he starts reading the journal and they do the thing of like the two voices start reading and it went for a little longer than you usually would that I thought, <laughs> are they going to do the whole thing together? Because that would be awesome. The double narration didn't bother me at all because it's not 100% unique. They didn't invent it. But it's not something that we hear very often, the switching of narrators. So it didn't bother me uh, because, again, I like searching for a new perspective on how to tell the story. I, you know, I, I, there's, it's a trope now, but a story being told by someone discovering old tapes and just, that was cool. The first time I saw it, I was like, that's a great way to retell a, a story that I had not heard before. So when I see things like that, it didn't bother me. Cause like, yeah, it, it makes it interesting to me coming from two sources. Yeah. I think it might be strange that it is this friend of the family reading this. I think in the original story, it's a guy who bought the house that the protagonist died in and found these notes crammed in some books in the back of the master bedroom. So it has this sort of creepy thing that you just came across out of the blue. Um, And it might just be that his name's Gary. For some reason, there's just like (laughs) that name robs all scariness from the atmosphere and and mystery or anything. (laughs) It's like Gary called him over. He couldn't do anything to help. <laughs> Weirdly, I'm on our Patreon website as you were saying that, and we just lost four Garys. <laughs> uh, I thought it was odd to choose the last line from the ghost or whatever creature is there uh, to say, who do you think I am? It seemed to suggest mystery that was not there because yes. yeah. for a second, I, I it almost got me. I'm like, is this something? Well, <laughs> no, it's Mr. Thomas. We've been told pretty explicitly. At most, we could think it's it's death because the inscription says, you know, and I bring death with me or something like that. But I, I mean. It was even vague. Like, I bring him with me like it could be my pal, Jerry. <laughs> As opposed to Gary. Yes. I want Jerry to meet Gary. It would have been great at the end when he says, you know, who do you think I am? And he says, this is a subpoena. I'm serving. (laughs) Like this entire time, he's just trying to get him some papers. (laughs) Boy, you're a tough one. You're the toughest one I've ever had to serve, sir. That would have been legitimately terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think it would have been more effective if they echoed the inscription on the tomb with that last line or if... I really like the line of dialogue that the caretaker said he overheard. Um, they have disturbed me and the moon has awakened me. I shall follow them. That would have been a better line, I think, to echo. And I really thought it was interesting without being specific. They note earlier that there is a skylight in the mausoleum, which seems a strange feature. And so 
the skylight with that line, the moon has awakened me, suggests the mechanics of this dark magic is somehow attached to the moon. And it just, it's a nice way to do it without clunky dialogue. You know, there was a detail that I got hung up on that I don't think I ever settled into, that the lock was old and rusted, but there was a caretaker there who planned to replace it that day. The caretaker just had, I will let it rust only so far, and then I will replace it. (laughs) (laughs) We've all been there. Like, I really should get to that house repair. Nah. Yeah, somebody could die. Yeah. I call that all the dog poop in my backyard. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I can go a couple days without a working toilet. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, It follows. It follows. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Any other thoughts, gentlemen? Uh, last thing I want to say is I want to especially appreciate the actor who played the caretaker. I thought he did a really good job taking a really cliche role and giving it some moments of genuine creepiness. Yeah, His weird chuckle that sometimes went into a cackle reminded me of Alan DeVeet, the character actor who's in a lot of the early shadows. We listened to him in the Circle mm-hmm. of Death you're totally right. It does sound like, is it him? Could no, it I don't him? think so. No. But I thought it, he walked that line between fulfilling the cliche, but also giving it a little extra life. Yep. I agree. Well, let's send it to a vote, Tim. I would not call this a classic. It struggles to stand the test of time, I think, um, because it is, like you say, Hall of Fantasy is a, a throwback series, kind of purposefully a little nostalgic. And I really enjoyed it because of that. It's really nice to hear Hall of Fantasy again. But it, I think it has some definitely interesting twists to offer a modern audience. It surprises here and there in, in ways that are fun. I would agree with everything you just said. And I will say that even though I agree with all those things, weirdly, I enjoyed it. From everything I've said, you would say, well, then you obviously are mad at it and hate it. Uh, but no, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was a classic or anything. I'd say, you should hear this. But this is the best thing I can say about it. It has inspired me to want to adapt this. I do. I want to take this adaptation of the adaptation and give it one more shot because I think I can make it work. Now, that's really egotistical of me, but there are things that it's missing for my brain that I would like to see written out. So that's where I'm at. So, gentlemen, be ready. It's on my list of rewrites. Well, I don't think it's a classic either, and I didn't bring it because I thought it was a, a classic by any means. I am a M.R. James fan, so it's just the completest in me wants to hit all the M.R. James and make you guys uh, suffer through them. But I think the atmosphere is successfully spooky, and like I said, once the curse is revealed, Thorne takes full advantage of the story's really inherent sense of dread, which I think comes from the original James. Like I said, despite a narrator who I think is superfluous and some clunky dialogue here and there. The performances are really strong and, again, match that campfire story aesthetic. And again, while I think it's not a classic, like Tim said, I think there are some moments, particularly when it really uses the audio medium to its fullest, like that audio montage of hotel after hotel, uh, where it really stands the test of time. But yeah, I think uh, how much it stands at this time is going to vary from uh, listener to listener. But I think it's good stuff and um, definitely one of Hall of Fantasy's stronger productions. I wanted to say that in my summation, that this is the best Hall of Fantasy that I've Oh, heard. I think Shadow People is yeah, probably I like the best. Shadow, nah, I kind of like this one better. 
honestly. I Shadow People's great. Don't get me wrong. It's a really good show, but I like... You know what it is? Dude, here it is. I just called you dude. That I, I, <laughs> Here's what it is. I like the potential of this one. That's what it is. That's what I'm hung up on. There's something here that I'm like, ah, you're so close to something I would love a lot. All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can comment on episodes. You can search around for episodes from your favorite series. You can link to our social media pages. You can send us messages. You can vote in polls to let us know. There's all kinds of ways to give us your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of these episodes. Um, yeah. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We have Zoom happy hours. We have buttons. We have membership cards. We have bonus podcasts. You should definitely go to patreon.com and check it out. I think we have unlocked a number of episodes of our bonus material so you could give it a listen and decide, eh, I think I'll skip it or, oh yeah, I'm going to support these guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Those are the two options, I'm assuming, that are going to go through your head. <laughs> but yeah, go to patreon.com slash themorals and check it out. The Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society is also a theater company where we perform original and adaptations of classic radio drama. We usually do them on a stage with our partner Park Square Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota. But here in 2021, we are still in COVID. But that doesn't stop us from uh, doing uh, performances online where you can purchase tickets and see us do original and our adaptations and recreations of old-time radio classics. Just go to parksquaretheater.org to get tickets to see us perform monthly, uh, or you can go to mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com for links to all of this stuff we're talking about eventually. It'll be a rabbit hole from there, but you will get to where you need to go. (laughs) All right, what's coming up next, Joshua? Uh, Next, we have a listener request from our pal and patron, Tim. Not our Tim, but cool Tim, who gives us money, Tim. Nice! (laughs) And uh, we'll be listening to Battle of the Magicians from Lights Out. Until then... And now, Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. I called Gary as soon as I could. He said he'd be out within the hour to see us. He wasn't able to help us in any way. 